Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. We're glad to have you here on the S2 Cognition Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, and today we've got an awesome conversation for you. Ray Gallahan, the head pit crew coach at Team Penske, details the science and selection process behind building a successful pit crew. He explains the roles and responsibilities of different crew members and the cognitive demands that they face during pit stops. Ray also talks about the off-season and in-season maintenance of the pit crew and the challenge of turnover in the industry. He finally shares his insights on the future changes of the industry and the importance of continuity and team chemistry. For those that are new here, welcome. We're excited to have you today. And for those that are returning listeners, we always appreciate your support. To help continue our growth, we ask that you subscribe, rate, and review the show. Enjoy Ray Gallahan. Ray Gallahan, thanks so much for joining us, man. We're excited uh, to have you here. You're a, a legacy, right, in the NASCAR world. Dad was all around cars. You were all around cars. How much influence did that have in the in the space that you're in now? Uh, quite a bit. Um, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, Growing up, dad, uh, you know, did quite a bit of racing and, and I was at, you know, some of the smaller tracks in Florida, New Summer Beach, uh, Barbersville, some of the, the tracks are actually still there, but, uh, he kind of got away from it as he, as he got older and, and work kind of, you know, took precedent. And in the nineties, NASCAR was blowing up and some of the guys he actually taught, um, to build motors and some things when he was a lot younger had migrated up here and, and gotten pretty deep into the sport and had called him back and said, Hey, you know, we're having trouble finding good people up here. It's blowing up with, we'd love for you to come up here and start working with us. So, uh, he moved us up to Mooresville and it was a massive culture shock for me <laughs> growing up and around palm trees and 15 minutes from the beach. And first time I saw Mooresville, North Carolina, it was about this time of the year, no leaves on the trees and gray. And so, uh, we moved up here. He got into racing, and and I had no interest getting into it um, at at that time. Hmm. Um, actually, quite a while later before I I thought about making make my way into the the sport. But that's kind of how we got into it. Uh, I I played a lot of basketball growing up, and a ton of basketball in high school, and kind of burnt out on it. Uh, had some small D one or D two offers, and. Didn't take any of them, kind of got burnt out on playing. Ended up at UNC Charlotte, uh, just playing pickup ball and stuff down there and and kind of just not using any of the athletic ability I was blessed with. And dad said, you, sh- you should, uh, you know, look into getting into the pit crew stuff. And I was kind of against it at the start and then started, uh, you know, thinking about it, looking into some of the salaries that, that guys were were making. And they were starting to creep up into the, the area that, that made it interesting and um, got an opening at a place called Jasper Motorsports, which Penske Racing actually ended up uh, buying, and that's kind of how I got my, my made my way into the sport. And that's for amazing. those that don't know, you you are how tall, Ray? Uh, six foot four. Six four, big big yeah. fella, beast. Not big enough. Yes. I, I played underneath the basket in, <laughs> in high school. Really good at scoring down there, and so the coach wouldn't <laughs> let me play on a perimeter. I uh, just didn't get enough looks on on the perimeter game to to make anything of it, but. How many career championships do you have just in totality for racing? Uh, have been involved with, directly involved with three. Was there obviously three. for for 2012 when when Brad won it, but wasn't directly involved with with that one. Uh, but fueled Joey's car in 2018, 
and then I've coached um, for the last two two years. So for the audience, for Brandon and myself, the inexperienced NASCAR people that will hear this podcast, can you explain all the science that goes into the selection of the pit crew, um, how you guys develop them into putting the perfect team together, all, all the things that go into your selection process? Just break it down for us, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, so that's obviously evolved tremendously uh, over the last probably decade and a half. Uh, I, I've been in the sport since 2004, and when I first uh, started making my way on the pit road, there was a, a couple guys that, that had played some sports, um, and and one guy had played college sports. But you know, at this point, if you haven't, if you have not played college sports, you're kind of an outlier. Um, hmm. se- several of the big teams started, you know, really pushing to to recruit college athletes, and you know, Penske was one of them. Hendrick Motorsports did a really good job on it, and now everybody's doing it. We were looking for something to set us apart, um, and, and so everybody's looking for athletes. And I think the the next you know landscape that that's going to set different recruits apart from from others is is the space between the ears, and and us obviously you guys' specialty. Without saying too much about what what we look for and things like that, and get myself in trouble. <laughs> it, it, Picker guys are, are are a unique. It's kind of a unique tool set. Um, you you got to be really athletic, but you you got to have uh, a, a great brain between the ears because it all happens so fast, and you're using equipment. So there's a lot of motor skills involved that aren't always involved in, in other in other sports. Um, and then everything happens so fast now with with the with the one lug nut pit stop that uh, we just finished our second year in. All of those those read and react points have been condensed you know, down into the low nine second range. So everything that was happening when, when the pit stop was using five lug nuts, um, you know, is condensed so much down to so much and, and all, all of those reaction points um, take place in, in a 10th or less of a second now, whereas, you know, you had a little bit more than that during five lug and it was a little bit easier uh, if somebody wasn't really sharp uh, upstairs to, to make, make a career out of it. Ray, I know you, you know, you don't want to give away too much about, especially what you're looking for, for how guys operate, but I was completely blown away just by even the physical characteristics. You guys talk about the difference between a rear changer and a front changer and a gas man and a jack man and just what you guys are looking for, for the, I mean, I was completely blown away where you're like, oh no, he's too short. Oh no, he's too tall. I was like, okay, so there's actual, like, there's a fit here. You know, and, and a lot of folks who listen to us are involved in pro sports. And as you know, you know, every position on the football field, they're looking for, you know, specific hand size, specific height, weight, all of those sorts of things. Talk to us just a little bit about even just the different positions within the pit crew. I don't even know that we're that familiar with, you know, just the different positions and what these guys do. Sure. So there's there's five men that are allowed over the wall. Uh, there's a fueler and Per NASCAR rules, he can only fuel the car. I would love to see them change that because there's a lot of creative things we can do um, to make the stop even funner uh, if we were able to use him. But he just gasses the car, so and that's that's a challenging job now too because the the fuel cans are regulated to flow a certain amount, and now that the stops are faster, they they have a lot less time to get gas in the car. Uh, and then starting at the front of the car, there's a there's a front changer who jumps out in front of the car. He's going to take the lugs off and pull both front tires and tighten the lugs once the new new wheels are put on. There's a carrier 
um, who stands on the ground as the car is coming in with two tires in his hand. He carries both right side tires out to the outside part of the car, and he's got to run across the nose as it's coming in with those tires. Uh, that's that's a job that I, I would never want to do. They you know kind of weighted down by by a couple forty five pound tires, and and now you got a, a thirty six hundred pound race car driving at you <laughs> with other cars on pit road as well. Uh, and then there's a there's a jack man. Um, he's going to run out across the car as well with a, with a jack in his hand. Uh, the jack doesn't weigh that much anymore, so that's you know a lot of people used to be like oh that jack's got to weigh a lot and that's impressive, but the tools have have been so refined to where um, it, it's really made that part uh, not not as impressive. But uh, he's going to jack the car up, put the right front on that the carrier had set there. As soon as he puts the right front on, he's going to come back to the jack, and hopefully the right rear is tight at that point too, and immediately uh, break the jack loose and then run to the left side of the car, jack the left side of the car up, and then put the left rear on, um, and then read both uh, left side tires when they're tight, then then he drops it and and the, the stop's done. On the back of the car, the, the rear changer is going to chase the car down as it comes into the stall, and he's going to... Uh, do the same thing that the front changer did with the rear tires. And, and uh, that that's all your guys, five of them. How long does that average pit stop? I, I would say the, the going rate right now is about 9.5. Uh, certainly there's been some faster ones. And I think the, the, the fastest stop we've done in our sport right now is, is eight, eight, six, the 14 car did it this year uh, at one of the races. Um, there's been, Quite a few groups have, have gotten into the eights now. Last year, it was only two teams, and so as as the sport kind of makes its way down the down the the time range there, I think you'll see a lot more eights this season. Um, but nines nines kind of the going rate. The the low nines is is the target right now, and being consistent in that 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 time range. So essentially, you're changing four tires putting in a, a hundred pounds of gas and making subtle adjustments to the tilt of the vehicle in less than 10 seconds. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And we don't get to That's start ridiculous. on the ground. A lot of the other motorsports uh, pit crews like F1 and all, they're already positioned at their, at their cars. Um, and we, we've, we're coming off the wall as the car's coming in. They, they most of the time have four guns. And so it cuts the stop down about, you know, by half, I think a, an open wheel pit stop, a good one's four or five seconds. Um, Man. But we only got two guns, so I, I I would like to see them do their stop with two guns and see where we shake out. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ray, one of the most fascinating positions to me uh, in, in pit row, and, and I could be wrong here, but the Jackman just seems like he's got a lot going on. And I'd love to, you know, without really getting into the weeds, I'd really love to talk about not only his responsibilities and duties, but from a cognitive perspective, what all is involved here? Because, I mean, the guy seems like he has to sort of really time when he jumps over the wall. Uh, he's got to judge angles getting around the car. He's got to moderate force jacking up the car. He's actually involved in changing a tire. Uh, then he's got to go around to the other side of the car, keep everything in his periphery. There's just a lot going on. Uh, am I right? wrong here or does this guy have a lot of responsibility not just from a cognitive perspective but just managing the whole team yeah there's he's got a full plate for sure and it's i don't i don't love football comparisons but there's a <laughs> lot of comparisons with the quarterback and i think rightfully so because it's really hard to make speed without a, a great jack man uh one that's you know 
obviously foot speed fast and, and physically athletic, but also able to to manage the stop and and to go over all those, you know, those small mesh points where we can have mistakes at and, and he's involved in almost all of them. Uh, so just going off through the stop, for instance, for example, right when he comes off the wall, car is going to come by him and, and we want him setting the jack. So he he's he's watching the jack stop come by and he he should have the jack out of his hand minimum with the car at zero there's there's a handful of guys who are able to do that while the car is still technically moving um and to have it the the jack plate hitting the peg at zero so that he's jacking it up while the front changer is pulling that lug nut off because the front changer is going to be waiting for him to to have that right front end and jack man's your limiting your limiting force at that point so the faster he can get the car up he's got to make sure his handle's tight on the jack because if the handle like there's so many places where your hands come off the jack where you can loosen it because they're all a, 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 you know, a sticking point in it. And then he's got to come off the jack, grab the wheel out of his peripheral. And now he's looking at the hub to get the wheel on index in the hub. He's got, you know, your, your spatial recognition and, and understanding the angles of, of the camber on the hub and, and all that stuff is, is all got to happen there. And, you know, tenths of a second for each, for each step. And then after he's hung the, the wheel, he's coming back to the jack, and now he's he's got a read out of his peripheral. Was there any issues on either hub? And he's got probably less than a tenth to, to read that out of his peripheral because I, I need him to drop the jack immediately if there was none. Like he's he's he should have no time to ever stop moving during the stop. He after he's hung the right front, should come back, drop the jack immediately unless there was an issue, and he's got to read that and manage it in real time. That's all on his plate on the right side. Now you're you're you know hauling the mail around the car, and then like Brandon, you alluded to, there's angles and steps and things that we're trying to get him to set himself up for his left side jack set, uh, which is really tough because he's he's coming around the car in such a manner where visually he can't see the jack stop on the left side until he is at the point where he's got to throw the jack and get to the pump on it. Um, so there there's a even less amount of time where he's able to recognize his aim point on the left than, than there is on the right. And that the left side's really where they make their money because the left rear's got to be indexed. He's got to jack the left side of the car, index the left rear wheel, and get back to the jack to drop it um, all, all in one motion. After he's indexed that wheel, this is the point of the stop where it can get become a really big catastrophe because if you didn't get a lug nut seated right or a wheel seated right, um, and you drop the jack. Hopefully your driver can stop before he leaves pit road. Um, but either way, you've cost your team probably two laps of a penalty with the wheel coming off. If the wheel comes off on the racetrack, it's a two-lap penalty, and you and your tire changer are suspended for two weeks. So now I've got backups in for, for the next couple of weeks as well. So there's a lot on his plate. There, there's some other stuff that, that we could get into if you want to with him specifically, but that's kind of the the broad view of what all is going on there. Right. So obviously you guys are hoping for perfection and we're talking about these really short time windows and obviously you're practicing to perfection. What, what percentage of the time does the stuff go wrong? Like, I don't know. I mean, I could imagine, you know, a tire's, you know, that you're throwing away, spinning around and coming back into your field of vision. Um, I could imagine a guy just tripping or I, I don't know, just something not going right. What, how often does that happen? 
I, I would say generally probably 90, I don't know, it's a high 90% of the time range that you have something come up during the pit stop. I think if you wow. if you hit an eight second stop, then everything went perfect. You'd probably say that for a nine flat or, or even a nine one, but generally speaking, there's something that has to be managed um, to keep yourself from, from getting into serious trouble. Um, hopefully you're trying to keep your mistakes in the high nines, low 10 second bracket. Um, but sometimes that's not, that's not feasible either. And it, managing an 11 second stop at, at that point becomes, you know, optimum rather than having a wheel come off or, or right. an actual loose wheel on the, on the track and your driver having to come back down and pit. So, so pretty often we, we have stuff happen. Without revealing too much of Team Penske here, um, it sounds to me, as inexperienced as I am in this in this realm, that that's that might be the most important position on that team. Um, how how much goes into the solidification of that position, and then building the team around that player or that that's, athlete? That's probably that's probably the entirety of it right now. Um, you you have to have mm-hmm. that spot filled, and that is a it's a very scarce position as well. Mm. Um, there, despite our sports best efforts to to go and recruit and bring these these players in, uh, we we've just ran into some some challenges finding the right people. Um, to go back to something Brandon hit on way earlier in the conversation, what we're looking for specifically, like we're we're looking at hip heights now, we're looking at arm lengths, hand size, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, to, to fit the mold for it because you, know, you you could have a guy like myself who's six foot four um, and the way my hips and my body's put together, it takes me a lot longer to compact down into the, the wheel well to get my tire in to my hub. Whereas somebody who might be six foot two and not built proportionally the same way I am, you know, his, his, his body's able to get that tire in when, when he, you know, he bends down and, and squats at the waist to get the tire and it takes him less compaction of, of his, you know, the way he's built than, than somebody who's a, a lot taller and lankier, so to speak. So Ray, we've talked about these five pit crew guys, uh, contributing, each contributing. How much does the driver c- contribute to a, a successful pit stop? Uh, he's, he's quite, got quite a big, big part of it as well. If we're trying to be on the car and, and touching it, you know, our, our front changer needs to be engaged and, and pulling the log off at zero. I want Jack man to have, you know, Jack underneath the car at zero. When I say zero, that's, you know, just car is finally stopped. It's, it's not moving at all. As soon as it's, it, you know, decelerates to zero, everybody's got to be on it. Well, if he doesn't hit the mark that he's trying to hit with the car, then all of my guys got to adjust you know, accordingly. And if it's, if it's a two to three foot adjustment, you're not going to second off your time easily. Um, and that's, that's not hard to do for a driver. They're, they're, they're really, you know, got a lot going on visually too. And then trying to hit that mark on, on a pit road that that's really busy is a, is a huge challenge and somewhere, you know, a, a space that a lot of people are working on right now to try and maximize. So from my just my naive understanding of it it seems like you guys work in groups of pit crew and then the drivers and they have their crew chiefs and things like that how much interaction is there on a typical week between the driver and crew chief set of of skills and the 
yourself who's managing all the pit crew? And is there any integration from week to week about, hey, here's some adjustments we can make? Or, uh, you know, how can we make you, you drivers better and drivers? How can we help with the pit crew? I mean, how does that interaction work? Yeah, so that's that's also changed a lot uh, over, I would say, probably the last five to seven years. Um, whereas the old old mentality was the driver's going to do what he's going to do and and wherever the car's at, you know, we'll, we'll, we just want you guys to pit it and be perfect. Yeah. Um, and as, as you know, the, the, the part of our sport has evolved, um, there's a lot more communication strategy and, and practice on language that the crew chief uses with the driver, um, where you put your signboard, how you're doing your tape, um, all these little visual cues, and then actually active practice with specific drivers and teams doesn't happen every week, but it, it does happen uh, quite a bit to try and you know get all that stuff fine tuned and polished up. So, are teams actively uh, recruiting at like sporting events, uh, all star games, and and things like that? Or are you guys going out to look for college athletes? Yes, um, and and right now there there's still a pretty big wall as far as you know the reach and exposure of NASCAR. I think it's grown a good bit as far as the versatility in the fan base, but. You know, a lot of guys that that we talk to um, have never watched a race, and and we kind of got to build build up the interest, you know, from ground zero to to get them in the door. But uh, as you get guys in the door, and as they start having fun and making some money, you know, they talk to their their buddies that might have been underclassmen, and they're graduating, and so then you know, just interest kind of snowballs uh, as as we get people in the door. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about, you know, going back to your 9.5, potentially eight seconds of of doing all of those things. You you talk about processing and what people are having to do. Everyone's got their role. I mean, it it, it truly is like the five finger hand thing. Everyone, everyone has a role, right? And if you do it, what you have to do, there might be certain specialties to each person and what they're having to accomplish. How did you go about you know, thinking about good fit, your team assembly, what are some of those things uh, when you're putting a team together that you guys look for? Yes, yeah, a great question. Um, Cause that is where everything's at now. Uh, the, the stop physically is not as demanding as the five lug stop. The wheels are a little bit wide, lighter and there's probably a, a decent sized population of, of people who could, you know, athletically complete the stop in, in a, in a decent fashion where we're finding the the tricky part is 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 do they also have the the tools uh, mentally to make all those reads and process all that in in an amount of time that is, you know, we're we're talking tenths of seconds and sometimes under tenths, uh, with with a lot of consequences when you miss those read times because the driver's strained as soon as the jack drops, you know, on the left side he's gone, so you don't have the ability to to fix anything before the car leaves. If you made a mistake, now you're looking at wheels coming off or, you know, catastrophic race changing events. If we, if we do make a wrong read uh, or process something improperly. Uh, so that, in my opinion, that's where the whole game's going. And that's, you know, the next frontier on, on pit road is how can we identify those markers and, and who's going to be better at those things than others. Ray, I, I really want to touch on uh, something that was uh, really interesting to me, and I know that it's phased out now, but these guys who were doing the five lug, you talked about, you know, there's a there's a real motor and tactile, but also like this awareness of not just where the lugs are in space, but having a sense of what the tightness was. 
And when we first talked about this, you were saying that sometimes these guys, it took three to five years just to develop that sense. And so you guys were investing three to five years of time when ultimately, oh, this guy is not going to work out. He just can't get it down quickly. What was that process like for you guys? How, how How do you actually train these aspects. I mean, I've sat, I've sat and watched practice and I know that the, all the technology that goes into it these days, but as you guys were evolving, how did, how did you got, how do you guys train from a day-to-day basis? So five lug uh, was, was a lot different than, than what we do now for sure. Um, especially training tire changers in, in particular, it, it just took, you know, a, a human mind a lot longer to develop hitting those five lugs. Um, and, we were trying to do that somewhere around eight tenths of a second. So you've got your gun spooled up. You got the kick of the gun is in your hands, right? Cause it's got a lot of torque on it. So you squeeze the trigger and it, it wants to jerk your hands around. So you got to use some strength to hold it. And then you're just trying to hit that pattern and eight tenths of a second. And there was, there was guys who could do it in faster <laughs> than that. And your brain so five lug nuts in less than a second. Yes. And your brain is tracking right each, each lug. <laughs> And you don't realize if one broke loose and came off until you've gotten to the next one. So there's probably quite a bit of cool stuff cognitively going on during that, that era as well that we just weren't really thinking about or tapping into. But for, but for to train those motor skills, it, it just took a lot longer than, than it does with one. Um, the difficulty now is, is training guys to read that one lug nut in less than, less than a tenth. Um, and, and there is some motor skills still involved, but obviously you you can imagine it's a little bit easier to hit one hub as as opposed to five smaller studs. Um, now the difficulty lies in in the speed of the stop and and the processing part of it. Yeah, it's fascinating to think about because you guys are just like every other sport. You have an in season and you have an off season. What is the difference? Um, I mean, is there pit crew maintenance? Is there going through the season? What are the changes we're going to make? The assumption of of hey we didn't like how we we did this race so the next race we're looking at making these adjustments and can you talk about the in-season maintenance for the pit crew versus the out of season what does their off season look like sure so we'll start with the off season because that's what we're in right now i think it depends on the season you had we did a little bit more last off season um because i didn't i didn't think we had a great 2022 2023 2023 we, we we were a little better and I don't think we have as much um, fundamental stuff to fix as far as um, fundamental execution of the movements and, and techniques. So we, we've taken a little bit more time off in November uh, this year to try and heal bodies up. And, and honestly, I, I think the, the, the mind healing and the mind refreshing is, is a bigger point uh, of emphasis for me just because we'll start first week of January and we don't stop practicing until November 7th, the first week of November, somewhere in there. Yeah. So it's like 43 weeks and it just grinds you down. You know, it's, it's not, like I said earlier, it's not as physically demanding as, as other sports, but you don't get a break. Um, there's, there's a week or two where we, we will take off, but the, your brain never kind of leaves, leaves work. It, it doesn't really relax from, from the season and, and all the storylines going on. So my approach has, has been for November, December, to try and get the, the brains refreshed. And that way, when we come back in January, we can hit it hot and heavy. Everybody's popping. Everybody's excited and, and ready to get going again. Do you Go have on. like a report date? I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you have no. a report date when those guys come back? 
Yeah, it's it's usually first week of January. Um, this this year is is going to be on Wednesday since since we don't get back to the second, being how New Year's falls. Um, and then we kind of not to get into too much detail, but we, we kind of start at the bottom and, and work on fundamentals as as the weeks go by, and you know hopefully we're ready for for Daytona um, three to four weeks before Daytona, and and if we're not, we we can make some adjustments, but. Unless you have a lot of new people, um, you're generally just kind of to refreshing everybody and, and make sure we're sharp before Daytona. You don't want to wear everybody out in January unless you know you really need to. If the if the, if the production's not there, then you know the work's got to be done and, and we got to keep practicing. But um, I guess more or less it, it depends on, on the group. But I'm always got an eye for how, how hard am I pushing guys and and making sure I have their bodies fresh you know, towards the end of the season when, when the championship's on the line. And is there a lot of turnover in that space? Like you mentioned a couple minutes ago that, yeah, if we got a lot of new guys, uh, man, we're, we're really having to start from the ground up. Or if we've got a pretty familiar team, a lot of people back, um, we just working on, you know, getting every, the feel and the maintenance. Is there a lot of turnover in this space? There has been. Um, we, we have had a little bit at, at Team Penske. Uh, some other race teams. There's been uh, a lot more um, since since Next Gen started the the one lug nut pit stop. It, it, it's blessed some guys' careers and and really you know hurt hurt some other guys' careers. Um, it, it was a massive paradigm shift to where you, you had a lot of guys who were stars in in the five lug system and and really got phased out um, during this time. And so there has been some new faces coming on. I also think the the wear and tear of of the stop being faster is going to probably lend us some some careers not being as lengthy. So I do think you'll see a lot more newer faces more often uh, than we have in the past. What is the average length of stay or career of a pit crew? I would say generally it's it's been if you were if you're really good at what you did, ten to fifteen years. Um, sometimes guys made it. Uh, beyond those numbers, but I, th- I think you'll see those come down for for Jackman and carriers. There's there's quite a bit of wear and tear on the back and the hips and shoulders at those two positions. I think changers you'll still be able to to get you know 10, 15 plus years years out of your body. I, I don't think the the stop didn't do anything um, physically to their jobs to make it more strenuous on their body. So I still think that'll be an option for them. But I I, I think. Jackman and carriers, you'll probably see that number be more more likely around eight to ten years, um, rather than getting up there into the fifteens. And you guys have, I know you have three major cars uh, on the NASCAR series, and so you're managing all three of those teams, correct? Which would be fifteen members. Do you guys have like a development system or minor leagues, or how how does one work their way up to Joey Logano, the Cup winner, you know, to his car? Yeah, so that the Xfinity system used to be that feeder, you know, feeder league for us, where we'd have you know younger picker guys on Xfinity cars, and they're still doing five lugs, so we don't have that luxury right now. Oh wow! Yeah, it's it's really made made my job challenging as far as getting new guys experience and and getting people to the racetrack because yeah. I had a, for instance, I had a tire changer last year, really talented talented fella, and I couldn't get him to an Xfinity race because I wasn't going to teach him five lug. It was going to be a waste of time for me to do that because we don't race five lug at Team Penske, and it would have took 
you know, two to three years probably just to get him, you know, to the racetrack and, and all that with, with five lug. So you're kind of looking for opportunities on other teams where if they have a suspension and they're short a changer, you know, Hey, you want to use my guy here, get him a couple races under his belt. And now he's got some experience and idea on what to do there. We, we try to put them in different positions during practice and, and different environments that, that we maybe semi-simulate the racetrack, but, you know, you can never really replicate game day. Um, but that's that's about the best we can do right now, and hopefully we've got competent, um, you know, st- mentally strong uh, guys that, that get in there and the, the pressure of a, being fresh at the racetrack and never being, being there is not, not too much for them. I know you've talked about earlier the space of processing being the future of what's happening in the pit crew and NASCAR series. What other changes do you see coming down the pipeline uh, to your industry? There's been people kicking around trading pit crew guys, and and that hasn't happened yet. Um, I, I don't oh. know that that'll that'll happen this year, but I do think that'll that'll be a thing at, at some point. Wow. Um, you know, I I think uh, JGR is trying to build a. a of actual standalone training facility for their pit crew guys. It's like most of our, our training facilities now are usually intertwined with the shop and, and the race shop and all that. And theirs is going to be a standalone separate facility. Uh, I think you'll see that probably pop up here and there. Obviously that costs a lot of, a lot of money and finding backing for that, that might right. be a challenge. There are rules though, right, Ray? I mean, you guys can't go out to a NASCAR track and practice and things like that, right? So you have to have your own sort of facility. Like there's rules that NASCAR governs how much you can practice and access to cars and tracks and all that, correct? Yeah, so so in an interest of keeping the cost down, um, as at some point there in the 2000s, the, the testing costs and things were just getting out of hand. Uh, some of the the smaller market teams weren't weren't able to really play ball on that. So now, if you wanted to go like to Charlotte Motor Speedway and and run live pit stops, um, NASCAR would have to be notified and they'd have to bless it. And you know, I, I think they want to avoid opening Pandora's box. And okay, you're going down there to practice pit stops, but maybe the car stays out on the racetrack for a couple <laughs> extra laps, and and the driver gets you know. <laughs> couple laps of practice right. there and gives the crew chief some feedback and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and we don't get to um, own our own tires. Like we've got to get tires from Goodyear and they don't let the teams keep them anymore. So mm. um, there, there's, there's a challenge with that as well. We, we used to do a lot of that, uh, Brandon, but, but we don't get to anymore. 2023 or 2024 season, excuse me, right around the corner. Uh, what are we looking forward to most? Oh, that face. <laughs> Oh, um, I'm excited about having some continuity with, with the guys that that we've got together. Uh, Ryan's team, Blaney's team is not going to have any changes. Uh, Joey's team has, has been together for, for a couple of years now. And and I think as you, you know, as you guys well know, when, when you're in the process of, of reading and mental processing stuff, having guys that know each other really well and, you know, quarterback knows where his receiver is going to break his route off at because he knows what what's going on between his ears and his tendencies. And same thing for us as you work together and and get team chemistry built up, and that kind of snowballs on itself, and and you get some good momentum on that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what those two groups can do. 
um, with, with another year under their belts and, and with some, you know, cumulative success uh, with the 12 now finally getting over the hump and, and knocking the championship out, seeing, seeing where they can get to. And then uh, our, our two car and our 21 didn't have the seasons that, that we wanted to have last year, but um, we're going to push hard in January to, to make sure those guys are ready and would like to see those two groups uh, make the next step and, and kind of get their their names into the, the upper echelon of, of players right now. I don't remember where I read it, but someone was talking about the single most important factor to success or dynasties. If you look at the dynasties of, you know, the Lakers or the Celtics, uh, maybe even the Warriors and some of these teams, the Patriots in front office coaching and as players, there was like a central hub of these connectors that were there at every single stop and the continuity between them over years you know, you can change pieces around and you can change a couple things here and there, but the people who wrote the rules or check your ego at the door with Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich, they were still running the ship. And I think to your point, man, that's going to be really exciting to see because the continuity aspect is so important. Yeah, and I think that's an underrated um, dynamic to to sports in general. I, I think we, you know, we love the, the flashiness of the combines and, and the physical testing and, and that kind of thing. But um, the, the team camaraderie and the, the locker room structure and, and, you know, the leadership and how that fits together is fascinating to me. And, and I think it, it's just as applicable on pit road. Sometimes you, you got to make changes and, and those are part of it. But uh, if, if I can have my way, I'd rather have, you know, a group of guys stay together for as long as possible and, and see where, see where that momentum can carry them. Okay, Ray, we've moved into the uh, three random and funny questions. Uh, are you, you ready? These can be rapid sure. fire. These can be long explanation, whatever you're feeling. Okay. Um, what is the fastest you've ever been on a track? 142 miles an hour. Just describe what that's like, please. I mean, what goes, does anything go black? There's just no way. No, no, it, <laughs> it really kind of felt like driving on the interstate. I don't know. Maybe it was just, uh, I was ignorant of, of what I was doing, but <laughs> wasn't that scary. Is really? the number one fear that you're just going to crash? I mean, is that the number one fear for yeah, drivers? I think so, yeah. Uh, I think okay. And, and honestly, probably not until they have a really hard hit. But uh, I think yeah. after that, you, you remember. I was, yeah. I was doing some uh, initial research. So for question number two, I hear that people call you Goose. And if that's the case, <laughs> how did that nickname come about? So it, it doesn't have anything to do with Top Gun. Um, <laughs> it was a uh, former... <laughs> Coach of mine uh, called me Ray Goose, like Grey Goose Vodka, and I don't. <laughs> I okay. thought it was dumb, but I, I still don't really like the nickname because, like I tell the guys, when I was growing up, Top Gun was a, a huge movie. Nobody yep. wanted to be Goose. Yeah. <laughs> Goose died. <laughs> you want to be the guy that's flying true. the plane and, and shooting stuff. That's right. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, well, that's. I'll start calling you Maverick. Yeah. Is there? Do we need to change this? Is there a way to rectify and maybe give you a new one so that the future can be what a new nickname? I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to be able to lose the name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, most exciting challenge for you coming up right now. Uh, what are you looking forward to? Uh, trying to trying to have four elite pickers right now. I think we've got two. I think we're close with the other other two. And we've not ever been fortunate enough at, at Team Penske to have, you know, all of our teams be be that talented and execute at that that level. Um, but I think that's the next challenge for me and um, our staff. And then we're we're excited for it. 
what is the elite pit crew? What what is that? Is that just over the course of the season being consistent? What is reaching that elite pinnacle? What's the objective measure there for you? So I, I think that the the nine second average is is kind of the target right now, and and we have two teams that could crank out nine second averages pretty easily at the end of the season, and uh, the the two and the twenty one struggled at that, and and I think. The name of the game with with the current pit stop is how how often can you produce your your high level production stops? Like how how often can you hit the low nines without getting into the elevens, twelves, and and catastrophe stops? And that that's kind of the name of the game. So trying to trying to get our last two groups up to that level. One of them is really consistent and not mm-hmm. that fast, and the other one is super fast and. <laughs> you know, does this. So if I can get, get both of them for, for different reasons, kind of in the middle, I think we'll be in shape. He is Ray Gallahan, head of the pit crew at team Penske. Thanks so much for your time and uh, sharing some wisdom and shedding some light on a really cool processing element that, that I don't think gets talked about enough. So thanks for sharing. Harrison, uh, Brandon, it was great to be on and uh, appreciate it so much. Thanks for listening to the S2 Cognition Podcast. If you like the content we are putting out, please subscribe with that plus sign at the top of your app, leave a review about the episode, and share it with a friend. Follow us on Twitter at S2 Cognition or Instagram at S2.Cognition. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, please visit our website at www.s2cognition.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening to the S2 Cognition Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, signing off for now. We'll talk to you guys soon.